Welcome to the ACC Podcast. We're honored that you took some time out of your day to listen to our weekly message. We know that everyone is currently operating in a new normal as we are all experiencing some life-altering challenges during this difficult time in our world. We hope that these messages offer some hope and reassurance, and that it reminds you that our hope does not lie in man, but in God and His plan for all of us. If you have any questions about ACC, like our core beliefs, where we are located, or other key information, check out our website, anacorduschristian.church. You can contact us directly through there or by phone or email. As for now, take some time to sit down, get comfortable, and enjoy the message. So here we are. Um, much has been going on. Finally, I guess, for whatever this means, we're in this new phase two, um, this new language and lingo that even our kids are picking up on. It's three, three plus months into this uh, time. So there's a little bit of maybe excitement coming out of maybe something back to normal where we can be get closer to getting back together again. At the very same time, as we've seen over the last week, in our country at the very same time as maybe there's some coming out of this virus quarantine time we also um, have a a conversation that's been going on in our country Um, there's been the opportunity to hopefully once again have an important conversation one around race and I really this morning I can't try to give some de facto you know instructions about how we should have this discussion I really don't have the wisdom I don't have the understanding all I know is many people in our country many brothers and sisters in Christ many others that are made in the very image of God have been hurting over this issue of racism and we've seen deaths we've seen difficulty and I can't speak to it but I just wanted to acknowledge that this morning and at the same time people have been using kind of this this the protest the peaceful protest some have have kind of you know stolen some of the limelight and and taken the opportunity for rioting and for looting and there's fires that are places we know are burning when we turn on the television and there's there's hurting and there's pain and it reminds me of a, a familiar passage probably to most of us from 2 Chronicles 7.14, and I really wanted to key in on the first part of this because I don't know, I mean, this was written in the context of Israel, the very people of God, and here we are in the United States of America. We are not Israel. We are not directly the people of God, and yet we desire to live our lives for Him, and we desire our country to align itself with Him. And so it says this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. And I really just want to concentrate on that right now, humbling ourselves and praying. It goes on to say, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I don't know what God is doing here in the United States of America. All I know is people are hurting. And so this morning, before we start, I want to invite you to take that posture and say, and to humble yourself and to pray with me as we look at what's going on in our country. Father, this morning, uh, here we are in this weird video conference, church service opportunity to preach to you, or preach to, and then to pray. And Father, as you know, far better than any of us, Father, um, our world is in pain. Our country is in pain, Father. 
there are many people, Father, and especially right now as the focal point of, of you know, our conversation and the media shows us these images, there's many uh, black people, Christians, um, non-Christians, people that are just hurting because they're trying to voice, hey, this is not right. There's something that's been going on for a long time that they've lived with, that their children and their grandchildren have lived with, and they are tired of it, and yet we're seeing this happen. At the same time, there's there's police officers, Father, that have been given a role in our country, and there's this, there's kind of this war going on, and Lord, I cannot speak to any of it. All I can do right now, Lord, and all we ask, we want to humble ourselves and come before you on behalf of so many, Lord. We don't have the solutions, but we know you. You are our God, and we pray, Father, that you would come into our hearts, our nation, that you would come into the leaders, into the police officers, into those families that have lost loved ones, or those families who maybe have lived in fear of their children going out and something bad happening simply because of the color of their skin, or maybe somebody who's a husband or wife of a police officer right now, Lord, and I know that there's all sorts of sides, and there's so many other issues that maybe aren't in the limelight. At the same time, Father, children in our country are dying or being put to death out of convenience. And I know all of these issues are big issues, and there's so many other ones going on in our life, Father. And, and there's orphans, there's people without families, there's kids who are kicked out on the streets, there's abuse, there's slavery, there's all sorts of things. And Father, we don't have the answers, but this morning we turn to you and ask for your wisdom, for your spirit, Lord, to fill us with your truth, to make us aware maybe of hidden areas of our life, hidden things maybe that we've grown up with and gotten used to, areas that, that we are overlooking or maybe even in our hearts resenting or having bitterness towards someone else, Father. On all sides, I pray that you would step into and show us how as a country, how to live for you, and yet as a church, as a people, how we can step in and how we can be your light to a hurting world in this time, Lord. And we ask for your, your hand at work in that. We love you and trust you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, as we continue on here through the smoke of the fire into the book of Daniel, I, um, I, you know, I get the opportunity to preach once a month. And what I was thinking about this week is each one of these um, the, the book of the Bible, really, it's kind of like, and I don't know what your example, but for me, my example would be, it's kind of like when you walk into somebody else's shop. Because um, when you walk into a, a, another person's shop or a brand new shop, what I do, and maybe for you, you'll have to change the analogy. Maybe it's like you walk into somebody else's sewing room or somebody else's garage and you see your, their cars. But for me, I think when I walk into somebody else's shop, I see all of these tools that are there and I think, oh man, wouldn't it be great to have that tool? Imagine what I could do or or maybe, oh, imagine what I could do with that one or I see some other piece of machinery sitting there and I'm like, I have no idea what that is, let alone don't know how to use it, right? I th think the same thing about the Word of God because here we've had the opportunity, Mike and Brian and myself, we've had the opportunity to look at Daniel and we walk into each chapter and rather than looking at tools, we're looking at all of these themes, all of these subjects. And the thought is like, oh man, imagine what it would be like 
to incorporate that into my life now. To imagine to have that kind of faith. And in every chapter, there's, there's 10, 12, 15 themes. And so what we've kind of developed is this opportunity. Like this week, we're going into chapter 3. And I get to kind of introduce and lay out the elements of the chapter and show you just a few things. And I don't even have time to see, to show you that some of the things that I would love to show you. This things, I'm going to try to focus really in on one or two of the themes in this chapter. And then next week, Mike will be here to do the same thing, to walk into the very same chapter and show you maybe some similar but maybe completely different themes that are in each chapter. And our prayer is that you'll start to incorporate them into your life. So the elements of chapter three that I kind of want to, at least here at the beginning before we read it, that I'd love to lay out for you. There's, there's five repeated elements that just jumped out at me. And some of them I'll come back to at the end. Some of them, these I just want to talk to you because especially you kids at home where you're sitting there, maybe you're doing Legos already or drifting off, whatever you're doing. I just want to invite you to, to key in on some of these five elements as we read through the chapter. Because uh, these I just couldn't help but notice how they were repeated over and over. The first one were the words, set up, set up, kind of like stood up or established, because you're going to hear this again and again as the king has this image, and it goes over and above to tell us the image that the king set up, and you'll see it here in a moment. So when we, you hear that when we're reading through it, I want to invite you as you're sitting on your couch, as you're on your treadmill, whatever you're doing right now, kids, as you're sitting there, when you hear the words, the king set up, I want to invite you to go like this, whoop, whoop, all right, so you're sitting there, the king's set up. Uh, you're going to notice how many times that gets said. The next one, uh, this one I won't talk about too much at the end, but there's this, I call it just the orchestra, this whole group of instruments. And they're going to go through the list three or four times. And I kind of think if I were the scribe who was copying this down in that time, I would kind of think, you know, why couldn't they have just said the instruments, the orchestra, so I didn't have to write down every single one each step of the way. So when we get to that spot, it's going to talk about all these instruments. I want you to just, if you played an instrument one time, just do like that, do a little air guitar or whatever. Or it says every kind of music. So if you're more of like a country, you can be like, yeehaw, whatever it is. I don't know. So when we get to that part, reading chapter three, I just want to invite you stay engaged. Do that with us. Um, another one we're setting here. It talks about the furnace. We're going to be in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a familiar story to so many. And we get to this furnace in the story. Not only is it a furnace, it's a fiery furnace. And not only is it a fiery furnace, it's a burning, fiery furnace. And it's funny how often this gets repeated. So we get to this burning, fiery furnace, or a furnace of blazing fire. I want to invite you, just as you're sitting there, to give me the sound effect of whoosh right? Like, ooh, whatever your sound for a blazing, fiery furnace is, I want you to give that to me. And then there's the last two. You'll see this list repeated three or four times. King Nebuchadnezzar's men. And we'll read it in a second. It's the satraps, the governors, the counselors, and it's repeated over and over again. So these were the king's men. So the little thought, I, all the, every time I would read it, I think, y'all come down here, all right? So when we get to those lists, you can say quietly or loudly, because nobody's sitting around you to yourself, y'all come down here. And finally, the one that is repeated most throughout the chapter, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, VeggieTales called them Rakshak and Benny, right? We're going to say their full names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So as we read it, I want to invite you to, when I get to that, their names, to say it with me, because those are God's men. So I want to invite you now, if you have a Bible, turn to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to read through it together, but don't forget uh, our actions, all right? Here it is, Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image 
of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together, oh, I, I missed my first set it up, right? Whoop, whoop. Then the king Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces. Y'all come down now, right? This whole list of guys to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All right, did you get that one? Then, here we go again. Y'all come down here. The satraps, the magistrates, oh, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all of the officials of the province gathered for the dedication of what? The image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, and bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image the king Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. All right, kids, you with me there? Therefore, as soon as all of the people heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, ready, whatever it is there, all of the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that certain time, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears, and here we go again, you ready? Play whatever your music is. Who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon. And here we go. Say it with me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image? Which one? Oh yeah, the one the king has set up. Now if you are ready, when you hear the music sound, or when you hear the sound of... Here we go again, get your, your instrument out. The horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? <laughs> Here we go. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. 
But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. We forgot our... And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Then King Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who blah, 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 came out from the fire, verse 27, and then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of who? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruin for there is no other god who is able to rescue in this way then the king promoted shadrach meshach and abednego in the province of babylon i think you could easily come up with many titles for the book of daniel but probably for these first four chapters one title that i would suggest is the king goes to sunday school many of you maybe not all or maybe all of you have had some background or understanding about who God is. Maybe this story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you saw the stories growing up as a kid, or you've at least heard of them before, but King Nebuchadnezzar only knew his gods. He did not know the one true God of the universe. And the book of Daniel is introducing the most powerful man here on the earth at this time in history to the one true God. The king goes to Sunday school. The book of Daniel is many things, but one of them is it is a step-by-step -step introduction to the one true God for those who don't know him. As Brian pointed out last week, amazingly, God doesn't often present himself or, or show himself to the world from a position of power. He allows himself and his people to be captured and is perfectly comfortable revealing himself from a lowly position of servanthood rather than a position of power. It's my understanding that historically, when God's people are in a predominant seat of power in a culture, 
It's not abnormal for us to slowly walk away from our dependence, trust, and faith in Him. But isn't it amazing that more often than not, God works most through His people not by giving them the upper hand in a culture, in a civilization, in any setting, but by allowing them to be on the bottom, captured, slaves, weak, rather than strong. You would think by now His people would have eventually died out and entered into the dustbins of history. It might... If might makes right and survival of the fittest were hard and fast laws, then God's people would be gone. But we serve a God who says, My power is made perfect in weakness. As 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, or as Paul goes on in in verse 20, we can say with Paul, For the sake of Christ I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were young Jews. Jerusalem had been conquered. God's people seemingly were were losing. They had been defeated. They were taken from their homeland, and they were forcibly recruited into the service of Babylon, not as slaves necessarily, but to be assimilated and dominated by a new culture, to be brought into the whatever century, right, into the new century. Yet again and again, God works through His people who stay committed to Him despite their lowly positions and uses them at that point most to reveal himself and his ways to the world. So we go back to the story. King Nebuchadnezzar makes this image, 60 cubits by 6 cubits, you know, 90 feet by 9 feet. We don't know if it's 9 feet this way, this way, whatever it was. This large image out of gold, probably thinking of the verse or of the dream he had had in the last chapter. He calls all of his men together, and of course as we see, we see this, he says, hey, worship this image or be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. So what did the people do? What would you have done in that moment? You're faced with bow down and worship this, or be thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. What's wrong with the worship that the king is asking for? I mean, what was his purpose? You know, was it uh, domination? Was it dominion? Was it just trying to create unity in his kingdom? For all of the people, it was just another way of surviving. The king says, hey, do this. What do they do? The music starts. They're boom, flat on their faces, worshiping. Now, today it sounds so strange for us to hear and see this language of bowing down to idols. And yet I would offer to you that bowing to idols is what we still do. We just do it in a very different way. Today, I would say one of the chief idols of our times or one, you know, is the word, is the the theme, science. We would never say bow to an idol, and yet I've read, even in our own clam digger or other places, you know, somebody will say something like, you know, a lot of people say this, but science tells us this. And many people have pointed out as if science were some guy or book or museum you could walk into and talk to and ask, hey, what does science say today? But as all of us know, especially in this time of COVID-19, you know, is it scientific? What's the science proof behind wearing a mask? And what do you most see? You can see experts disagree, right? And any topic you want to get into, let's get into the most basic topics. How about salt? Is it good for you or not? What does the science say? Experts disagree. What is science? If you live your life, if your God is science, as our day and age we try to say it is, then you're going to live a very unstable life. I have nothing against science. I think science is an incredible exploration, but by its nature, it is inherently changing because all it is is man 
asking questions, good questions, exploring answers, and coming up with, and yet you see something that you always thought you would know. This is proof, this is true, and then yet you find out just as happened over and over again. You know, this scientific magazine, they had to, what did they have to do? Something that they had said was true, then they had to withdraw that article because it was found out maybe that everything wasn't what they seem. So in our day and age, it's science, who knows what else it was. So the, the story goes on, as soon as the people heard the music, they fell to their down and they worshiped the golden image that the king had set up. It's this great moment of national unity and celebration. We are all one, we're all celebrating or worshiping together, we're all wearing masks and celebrating whatever it will look like. Yay, but if you know the story, trouble's coming. What is the trouble? You see, for some reason, God has something against his people worshiping images. Why? What's the big deal about bowing down to an idol, to an image? Exodus 24, God is very clear. 20 verse 4 says, God is very clear to his people not to make any images or likenesses of anything that you can see, touch for the purpose of worship. Why? Because he is the Lord. I believe he knows our tendency even today to find tangible things that we can worship, that we can show off to others, that we can point to and say, yeah, baby, look at this. This is my source of confidence and hope right there. Trophies, houses, jobs, ranks, titles, relationships, bank accounts, successes, securities, all of them quickly become objects of worship. And God says you will be tempted but stay far away from making any idol or bowing down to any image. A fascinating point someone brought up to me this week. What is the one tangible image that God gave us to present and represent himself to the world? What is that one image? Genesis 1:26. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. You start to see everything else that we turn to is a counterfeit version that God that ticks God off. So here we have this moment, and here's the conflict in verse 8. Certain Chaldeans come forward and say, Hey, what about these men? And who are these men? Obviously, we know from our story, these are God's men. These are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Oh, king, didn't you say that when the band plays that we're all supposed to fall down? Well, did you know that these men that you've set up over us, they don't do it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. I don't know. I've always assumed this was kind of based on the last chapter of the king had set up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and given them a high privilege and their jealousy seems to be what's at stake here. But the king hears this and I don't know. I heard one person say 18 years after chapter 2, so maybe some time has passed and the king has maybe gone back into his ways. The king's ticked. He says, bring him here. Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And the thought hits me right here. You know what? King Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't know God. He doesn't know the history of God's people. He doesn't know the history of Egypt and their, the, the people's journey to the promised land. He doesn't know the Ten Commandments and the law. He doesn't know God's commandments around not making any images. All he knows is that he or his men were there in Jerusalem not very many years before this. Um, they were there in Jerusalem and they saw the temple and they went into the temple and what did they find? Did they find some 
some image or something that they could wrap their minds around? No, all they found was some golden vessels and artifacts and Nebuchadnezzar brought them back and threw him, them in his little God collection. He had been there. He didn't know the one true God. All he was thinking is, who are these men to defy my power? Don't they know when they've been defeated? Why were you they so high and mighty to defy him and not willing to simply worship his gods and images alongside their own? He wasn't asking them to renounce their god or all their other beliefs. He was just saying, hey, add mine. Make sure you're allegiant to my god too. But King Nebuchadnezzar didn't know this god. I mean, he's been introduced to this god through Daniel, like in the last chapter when Daniel interprets the dream. But for the king, a god was something to maybe to use, to live in fear of, to try not to offend, to worship, to serve to your own advantage or benefit, or at least to try to save your own skin. That's what a god was. He didn't know the one true God. He didn't know their story. Deuteronomy 4, 16. Beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air. Skipping to verse 19, And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the heavens. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace of Egypt to be a people of his own inheritance as you are this day. You see, the king didn't know his history. This wasn't God's first furnace or his first rodeo. And with God, things aren't always what they seem. Verse 14, he says to Shadrach, the king says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is this true? You won't serve my God. Let, let's strike up the band again. And this time, if you don't bow down, you're going into the fiery furnace. Whew. I'll give you one more chance. You know, I see him like this parent saying, one, two, three, The question he asked there in verse 15, I believe it is, he says, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? This happened last chapter too. There's these little, I, I just call them like a cookie or an Easter egg hidden in the chat or in the text, maybe not even that hidden. As King Nebuchadnezzar says, he, he doesn't say like, who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? He says it with defiance. Who is the God that could possibly deliver you out of my hands? Just like in the last chapter, they had said when the king had asked the, the, the priests and the different magicians to interpret his dream and tell him they're like the thing that you ask is difficult no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh and here again the king asks, who is the god who will deliver you out of my hands obviously not an honest question but he's going to get an honest answer here in just a moment how do they respond they say we don't need to answer you in this matter king if what you say is true and and what you're going to do is true our God whom we serve is able to serve us or deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, please know that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Remember those, those words. I mean, the king's ticked. He orders the fiery furnace, you know, get more logs, whatever they use for heat, I don't know. Fill it, you know, heat it up seven times more. Get the fire roaring. He ordered some of the mighty men of his army, the best of the best, you know, these muscle-bound guys to come in to bind and cast them into the furnace. 
And Seth and I were talking this week about this part because really if this were a Hollywood movie or maybe a movie that we would expect or write, this is the point in the movie where maybe 20,000 feet above this an airplane's flying over and some god's super agent is getting dressed up in his high altitude jump gear to jump out of an airplane to, you know, streak towards the temple and to throw his parachute open three feet from the ground, come in, take out the whole army, tell King Nebuchadnezzar what are you going to do about it, and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to waltz back through the gates free. Uh, but of course that's not how this story ends. More often than not, God allows his people to go through the burning fiery furnace without any short-term guaranteed outcome. Verse 22, because the king's order was so urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed the best of the best. The king's men, he was throwing everything he had at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the best that he had died on their way and they threw them into the furnace. It's hard to imagine that moment. They were faithfully serving God and their faith in God is what got them into this predicament. If it wasn't for God, they could have easily avoided this whole thing. Like if God didn't make such a big deal about bowing down to images, they could have joined everyone else and gone on with their life and be freed to, you know, do good things for the people around them. But their faith in God led them straight to the fiery furnace. I can't help but think about all of those throughout history that experienced the but if not. Stephen, so many other Christians, God's people, stoned, stuck in ovens, burned, gassed, killed, or persecuted because of their faith of God, and many of them died. The but if not phrase was still on their lips. But if not, we will not serve you or turn away from our God. Do you have a faith or do you have a but if not faith or a I'll serve you God as long as you hold up your side of the bargain faith? You may not know until you get to some key moment like this, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Maybe it's when you are confronted with some life or death situation like a burning, fiery furnace, but maybe it's something far less severe, like an unmet desire or passion. You know God's ways and plans and you bravely say to that desire that you know is not His, I won't give in to you again because my God is able to renew my passions and meet my desires. But what about the but if not? When he doesn't seem to be showing up and holding up his side of the bargain and the desire to give in is screaming at you, what do you do then? My God will save me. My God can save me. But if not. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, but if not, we will not serve your gods or worship your images. I don't know what those burning fiery furnaces look like for you. I don't know how many times you've been confronted with them and said, I think maybe I can give in a little bit this time to avoid any trouble. I mean, maybe if I just bow a little bit, no one will notice. God may not notice. 
God never promises to rescue us out of all of them, but over and over he says, I'm with you. And we know the end of the story as the king looks in and he sees the men and he, and he says, uh, you know, he's like, didn't we throw three men? And why? There's, there's four men in there. And they're walk, we, we threw three bound men in there. And there's four free men walking around. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Shadrach, I mean, King Nebuchadnezzar is meeting the God of gods in this moment. The king calls them out in amazement. The people, all of the king's men gather around and they see that not, not only are there no burns, there's not a singe mark, there's not even the smell of smoke on God's men. And the king says, blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants. There is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. God, or King Nebuchadnezzar, meets the true God of the world. And I want to go back and look at those several of those elements we talked about in the beginning. Remember how it kept saying the king set it up? It's this image that he sets up to say, hey, come and gather around. What happens at the end of the story? Everything that the king had set up had fallen. And at the end of the story, that same word set up is used, but this time it's King Nebuchadnezzar as he looks into the fiery furnace and he sees the three men and he stands up, he sets up, and he's like, what is going on here? I want to ask you the question, where are you standing right now? Where are you standing or who's, who are you following? What, what has been set up around you that you are following? Whose standing are you living for? Yours, the king's, you know, Facebook's, your friends standing to know where do I stand with these people? The only question that matters is where do you stand before God? The second part, the, I just wanted to quickly look at the contrast of the king's men versus God's men. We see in the story, as so often God allows to happen, it looks like King Nebuchadnezzar, he's on the, he has the best of the best. He has all the governors and the counselors and the leaders. He has the mighty men. But as we've already said, where are the king's men at the end of the story? They've all fallen down. And who stands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I ask you the question, not only where are you standing, but whose side are you on? God's or man's? Nebuchadnezzar appeared to have all the power, and God allows it to be this way. His people weren't given a lot to go on to make it appear like a wise and rational move to stand on God's side and oppose the king. But at the end of the story, God's men stood and the king's men fell. Where are you standing? Whose side are you on? And finally, I want to focus in on the burning, fiery furnace. Luke 12, 4 through 5 says, Jesus says, uh, a surprising thing. I just want to read it here. I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The world appears to have many furnaces, many burning, fiery furnaces that 
may burn us up, or at least they opposed that they're gonna burn us up. If we go down that path, it's gonna be destruction, it's gonna be terrible, there's the fear of that. Sometimes what appears to be a burning, fiery furnace is the very vehicle that God wants to use to meet with you and display his strength to you and to the world around you. Let me say that again. Sometimes what appears to be a burning, fiery furnace is the very vehicle God wants to use to meet you and display his strength to you and to the world around you. What burning, fiery furnaces are you facing today? What is your greatest fear that the enemy uses you and motivates you to say, hey, bow down to me, otherwise that burning, fiery furnace over there, that's where you're headed. I don't know what that burning, fiery furnace, a lot of times we think of the big things, you know, the persecutions, the trials that are coming. But I know for me, you know, one of the biggest burning, fiery furnaces that I think I face today is in the area of being passive. As a man, I am very comfortable with others leading, and I don't really like the pressure and the intensity that comes with leading. I mean, in my marriage, in my family, in my small group, I like to say things, but at the end of the day, you know, I'd rather somebody else do it. Why? Because I see so many other people that can do a far better job than me, and I would rather sit back and allow them to do it, and I just kind of, you know, hang out on the couch. It's called being passive. I mean, it's like in a small group. I know so many people that know how to like lead a good conversation and they can bring other people into the conversation and they can make everybody feel safe and they can do it far better than me and I'd rather stay back here. But yet for some reason, God keeps putting me in positions in my marriage, in my family. I'd rather my wife, you know, do everything and I'd rather just sit back and, but God has called me to a life and maybe looks like a burning fiery furnace to step into leadership, to be intentional with what God has given me rather than to sit back and just let others lead. Now that may be a silly example to you. I don't know what your, ferny, your fiery furnace looks like, but whatever it is, is you're there and you're looking, here's God's path, but God's path appears to go straight into the burning fiery furnace. And if I were just to choose to bow to my desires, my passions, whatever it is, it looks like they would give me the outcome I want. You're there walking towards this furnace. The heat is raising, but what looks like a burning, fiery furnace to us and everyone else isn't that to God. He doesn't assure us of the outcome, but he assures us of his presence even in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And he says in Deuteronomy 31.6 and quotes again in Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you or forsake you. Or verse 6, he says, The Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Maybe you're thinking, but you don't know how many times I've chosen to bow rather than face the burning fiery furnace. Or maybe you're brand new to all of this God stuff and you've never even known that there was an opportunity not to bow. You've spent your whole life bowing and yet God is standing there inviting you to choose to come over to stand with him. And you may think, it's impossible, I've bowed so many times, there's no going back. The incredible opportunity we have is to tell you about Jesus Christ. Next week we'll focus in on it even more. But we get to tell you of what Isaiah 53, 5-6 tells us about Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions, for our bowing 
He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. God recognized all of us and our tendency to bow to the king's images rather than go into what looks like the fiery furnace of trusting God in his way and his path. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The truth is Jesus Christ took on the ultimate burning fiery furnace of God's wrath. He endured it all to the cross and beyond to take our sins upon him so that we could finally once and for all for the very first times in our life rather than bowing we could choose to stand. I want to invite you today to stand with him. And in this moment, I want to invite you to take the communion that we've, hopefully you've been able to get, uh, get earlier. And I want to invite you to uh, take some time, first of all, to take the bread and to pass it around. Because Romans 8, 35 through 39 says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, including burning fiery furnaces, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray, and then let's celebrate a communion together. Father, this morning, we recognize there are so many opportunities to bow to the King's images, to other images, to our own desires, to our own passions, maybe to just our desire to fit in and make it through life and be reasonably happy. And yet this morning, Father, we want to stand with you and we know we cannot stand on our own strength and our own abilities, but we get to stand on Jesus Christ, on his body and on his blood. And I pray for the kids sitting out there, for the people sitting out here, Lord, today, that they would choose to, for the very first time, be willing to take the risk of the fiery furnace with you rather than bowing without you. Would you prepare us for what is coming this week? And we are grateful for this moment together, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks again for joining us today. We want to remind you that we love you and God loves you, and you always have a place here at ACC, even if it's virtually for now. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us if you need prayer or just want someone to talk to. Go in peace and have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you soon.